Welcome to the Paragold Podcast. This is Jerry Pitney, and I'm joined today by the Reverend Dane Walmack, who is the senior pastor at First United Methodist Church since July 2019. So, Dane, welcome to the show. Yeah, glad to be here. Appreciate you having me. So, we've had an opportunity to hang out a few times. We were involved in a little prayer meeting. Yep. Uh, I think that's actually the first time I got a chance to yep. kind of connect with you. Or sure. we were, I guess, whenever COVID first broke out, right, the first yep. wave, yep. and we were praying for our churches and our cities, and then we've just crossed paths a couple different times. We see each other a lot. We're, da- we're downtown together. We so do, man. We cross paths pretty regularly. I typically, and you didn't learn about this until today, but I typically see you right. walking past my office. I thought those windows were blocked both ways, but <laughs> it turns out they're not. Absolutely not, man. Okay. Yeah, I just watch you from right. a distance, you walk with your me. dog. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And so, um, but I was reading uh, your, your bio, and the first question I have got to ask is, um, it says in here that Dane enjoys good music, jogging, sure. and spending time with his wife, Jill, daughter, Edith, and son, Holden. Yeah. What do you mean by good music? Oh, yeah, that's a good question. I listen to a lot of uh, like alternative uh, country. Does that mean anything to you? So Sturgill Simpson. Sturgill Simpson. Yeah, that'd be that'd be right in my wheelhouse. Uh, Jason Isbell is is my oh, my okay. number one. I mean, I know every song by heart and love that stuff. So, so rock and and country kind of come together there. Uh, really like singer songwriter, even folk music. John Prine. Um, okay. So I'm not not listening to a ton of just like pop radio, um, but <laughs> but uh, as we were talking before we started recording, Spotify makes. Uh, makes this whole world accessible in a way that wasn't even even 15 years ago you know so any song any artist it's all right there at the at the fingertips if so there I was just that. one record that you could listen to like i could pretty much put that on at any time and i'm gonna enjoy it yeah what would it be yeah, some of you know Prine's Prine's early stuff. Souvenirs is really good. Like it's right. just so. I'm writing that down. Yeah, I'm give it a shot. Yeah, oh yeah, give it a shot. It's uh, it's funny. It's clever. Um, and we are you and I are professional communicators, and and so listening to people who are communicating something about the human experience, but doing it in a uh, artistic way. You know, mm-hmm. I don't think that's necessarily my strength. So I'm inspired by people who can do that well. Yeah. Well, excellent. Okay, so let's go way back. Um, way back way back I would like to know kind of a little bit about you I've never actually um, we never talked about I think just kind of you know I know a little bit about where you came from not a lot so tell me like where you came from and how you actually got to Paragold Arkansas as a senior pastor at First United Methodist yeah so there's you know from telling your ministry story there's like the one hour version and the 10 minute version (laughs) and there's like the two minute version so I'll I'll try to make it fairly which is fairly like the one hour version that'll (laughs) work Um, I grew up in Cave City, so that's not too far from here, over in Sharp County, um, just, just south of, um, I mean, just north of Batesville. And so that is my hometown, uh, was born and raised there. My mom's family is from there for a couple of generations. My dad ended up there through his parents. Uh, really good watermelons there. Home of the world's sweetest watermelons. We may have some people listening from Hope. Hope also claims to have good watermelons. I've even heard the Boot, Boot Hill of Missouri claims to have good watermelons. Okay. I don't know, but we're, know we're pretty partial to, to Cave City. So, yeah, yeah okay. world, world's sweetest. So, um, yeah, so grew up in Cave City. I would say, you know, a pretty, like, like middle-class life. My dad worked at White Rogers, which is a, a division of Emerson Electric in Batesville, mm-hmm. and so he had a good job there. And my mom did a couple of different things, but ended up being a Head Start teacher and center director. And mm-hmm. so... Uh, my town is fairly small. My mom had, had grown up there too. So I felt, I felt like I sort of knew everyone growing up or everyone knew me, you know, it's kind of a small town life. Mm-hmm. And so really don't, you know, I, I, nothing particularly dramatic about my childhood. I mean, I have really great parents. Uh, mm-hmm. They loved me well, took care of me well, took care of my brother. Um, it was, it was a good life, you know, and, and I, 
certainly now being a parent myself, I, I have even more respect and love for them mm-hmm. and, and what they did to, to raise me. So had a good life. Wow, this is actually really hard. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's right. It's so hard. Uh, we can get into to parenting in a little while, maybe. Um, grew up there at the First Methodist Church in Cave City. It's funny to, to, to call it a first church um, in a small town because it was the only Methodist church. It wasn't like there was a second and third, right? Um, but grew up going to church every week. You know, I wouldn't say my parents were like overly religious. They kind of did that thing that parents do. Like we have two kids. They probably need to go to church, so we'll start going to church again. You know, that was that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, we knew a lot of the people there, had a good experience there, um, and always felt very at home at church. And always felt welcomed to ask difficult questions. And mm-hmm. so that would probably be kind of a theme in my ministry and my, my personal theology. And so that that was really uh, encouraged and celebrated in my church and, and even in my family. Like nothing was off the table. You know, it was all welcome for, for conversation and for, and for discussion. And so give my home church a lot of credit. I mean, I just really had a good experience. Not a big church, small church, small town. Mm. Um, you know, one pastor is the only paid person. My parents mm. help with, you know, staff, staff related things at, at larger churches, but volunteer with children and youth, you know, my family and mm. lots of other families did that stuff. So it was what a, good, a cool good experience, time. man. I, it, just to stop you there for a moment. Sure. I, I think that, cause I just had this conversation with a family, um, Yesterday in Jonesville, we were talking about like how much the church has changed over the years, and obviously, I'm, I'm, you and me are going to be more mindful of this, maybe right. even some of the listeners, because that's right. the world we're swimming in. Yeah, and sure. So, but yeah, not too long ago, like when we were growing up, like it was not that out of the norm to be a part of a church where there's not a lot of like programs yeah. and activities, yeah. and it's just kind of like it's where your parents go, and like you just are there with them, you just go with them, yeah, and it, right. yeah, and it's like everyone kind of pitched in because yeah, there wasn't right. like big staffs right. and all that that's kind right. of stuff, yeah. and so and that's just changed so much. I feel like it has, and I don't know, you know, you and I both um, served churches that are larger than the one I grew up in, and mm-hmm. so I see some some benefits of that. There's some strengths of that, obviously, yeah. um, but there were some strengths sure. in the other way as well, and I, and I don't, yeah, there, there were some things that we've left behind there, and I, I'm also kind of a. Um, you know, a defender of small churches. They sometimes get talked down to, and uh, I think that's a real shame because they're they're just as much a church as any large church, and many of them are doing great faithful ministry, you know, for the sake of God. So, yeah. And I came from one, so I, I give them a lot of credit. Amen, dude. So you're growing up in church uh, with uh, a mom and dad who sure. seem to provide a, a environment of love, stability, Absolutely. and yeah. so... Catch me up from there. Yeah, I mean, I'll go quickly. You know, went through high school, uh, started started dating my my now wife in high school. So we go back a ways. In fact, her mom okay. was my second grade teacher. So nice. when I say it's a small town, it's a really small town. <laughs> all right, there's not not too many people there we didn't know in some in some form. So Jill and I were a year apart in school, but we're not. Uh, we're only a few months apart in age. And so we we went to UCA different classes, but we went to UCA together. Um, Jill knew she wanted to be a physical therapist early on, so she was kind of locked into that track early. Um, I was less locked in <laughs> at that age. Um, what so, years were you at UCA? Uh, we would have been there from 03 to like 11 or 12, between her physical therapy degree and us yeah, starting man. undergrads. So we were there in Conway about eight or 10 Dude, years. I, got, so. I was in uh, Conway in 2003. I went to UCA oh, wow. for a semester. No way. Yeah, we, were, we were there at the same yeah. time. Yeah, we're basically the same person. Small world. Yeah, how about that? <laughs> So you're at UCA. Yeah, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I, I really have an interest in um, engineering, architecture, uh, those sorts of things. UCA um, has math and physics and science departments, but not really engineering and architecture. So, um, you know, I, I was really, you know, my, my parents were wonderful and loving, but they didn't, 
they didn't know exactly how to, to guide me. You know, they were just happy I was going to college and happy I had a scholarship. There wasn't this sort of heavy handed, like, this is where you need to go and this is what you need to study, you know. So anyway, I kind of wandered around there for a couple of semesters. I landed in the math department. So I have a bachelor's degree in math. And, and then I, I actually stayed around because Jill was already there. I have a master's degree in math as well. So wow. I did a lot of math and physics and statistics, statistical analysis. My, my graduate thesis is on fish population modeling. Uh, what are you talking about? Yeah, mark and recapture yeah. fish population modeling. Obviously, I don't do that stuff anymore, so it's not like I could pick that up and do it right away or anything. But at one time, that was my world. What's the idea life. of it? Yeah, so mark and recapture modeling. So if you have some stream or some lake and you wanted to know the fish population, you would go out there and use some some method of catch, you know, like a large net or, or something else, depending on the, the fish. But you would mark them on like their fin with mm-hmm. some particular mark, right? So on X date, we caught 10 fish and they were marked with a, a bead that had that date on it. And you would keep doing that over and over again. And so every time we go out, we would catch some of the same ones, but we would catch new ones. And we would catch some of the same ones, but we'd catch new ones. We'd catch them. And then we would have this huge spreadsheet, right? So like fish A, we caught on the first time, the third time, and the tenth time, right? And this, this makes a huge data set, <laughs> which can then be statistically analyzed to make some, some projections about the overall population. Does that make sense? You tracking with me? <laughs> I am That's tracking with you. a real quick you, version. But yeah. I just want to honor the fact that you um, got a master's in math because yeah. I'm like – yeah, I just anybody who's really good at math, I just want to pull them aside and say, right. uh, "How are you? The way that you are, right? Why, why, my, my brain doesn't work quite like that, right?" So, so uh, yeah, I loved that stuff. Um, didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up, but but that department and that world and that way of thinking was really um, natural for me. So I enjoyed that a great deal. Okay, so in college, are you starting to feel a pull to uh, at all into yeah, vocational good ministry? Good question. I think my my big question kind of finishing high school and into college was, am I being called to be a, a disciple? Is this just a call to discipleship, just to be and follow Jesus? I mean, to be a disciple and to follow Jesus, not to be Jesus, obviously. Uh, to be a disciple and to follow Jesus closely and passionately. Is that what I'm feeling? Or am I feeling a call to something more and something different? Mm-hmm. And that's a really hard question to sort out, you know. And so I met with a lot of people, um, you know, from parents and family to friends to you know, clergy, you know, just trying to help put that together. And I think maybe if I, if I had started earlier asking that question or had some different direction earlier, I might've come to a conclusion sooner, but, but at the same time, I think, I think I needed some time and God needed me to take some time to, to wrestle with that, you know? So, uh, Jacob wrestling with God in Genesis 32, I really like that image because I felt like I did that for a few years, just kind of wrestling with what, what's going on in me, what's going on in the world, how am I being called? What am I being called to, you know? And so, that took, a, that took most of college. That's why I went ahead and did a graduate degree in math as well, you know. And so when that was finishing up, I did go talk to our local Methodist district superintendent about what I was thinking and going through. His name is Rodney Steele. Uh, he, he's a wonderful man, a wonderful pastor. And um, we had two or three conversations, and he, and he goes, you know, I think we've talked about this about as much as we can. I think you just need to try it out. And I was like, what? And then he goes, <laughs> yeah. there's this church outside of Conway, this little church that needs a pastor. And I think you need to go be their pastor and mm. you'll, and you can decide whether this is a good thing or not. Mm. Uh, and which I thought was a ludicrous thing for him to say, you know, but, um, turns out he, he, he knew what he was doing and there he was some, something yeah, yeah. And he saw that me and him sitting in his office was only going to take me so far, right? Like I needed to sort of put on the, put on the shoes, preferably speaking and go try out this, this thing, you know? And so Plummerville right outside of Conway, um, little church, what we would call a quarter time appointment, you know, small church, small appointment. And, uh, I went out there to be their pastor after finishing my graduate degree in math. And that really kind of formally got the ball rolling to, to being in ministry. What was your experience like when oh, you were yeah. at this sure. church? So oh, you're how old, by the way? 
Uh, let's see. I'd finished undergrad and I'd finished grad school. So I'm like 24. Okay. You're 24. Church of what size? They were worshiping 20, 25, 30, 40. Okay. So what was that like? Yeah, it was awesome. I mean, it's great. Every, everywhere I've gone and done ministry has, has been wonderful. And that is no, no exception there. You know, I was from a small town, so I related in some sense, but this was even smaller than the church I grew up in, but uh, wonderful people. It has a rich history itself. And they took me in and kind of trained me up. They had had... I wasn't technically a student pastor at that point, but they had had student pastors. They kind of knew the drill, you know, like here's a young minister who needs some direction. And so it's great. They offered to help pay our rent, kind of to help take care of of housing. And they just cared for me and Jill and really let me make some big mistakes from the pulpit, but not, but not, you know, in a way that, um, did permanent damage to me or yep. to them, you know? And so what was kind of the biggest like le- lesson learned, do you think from stepping into your first church? Well, so. I think for me, the, the, the humility was, um, was profound because to be in the pulpit and that was the main task there was to be the Sunday preacher and to be the pastor on Sunday to be in the pulpit just felt very exhilarating you know for like four weeks and then it was like oh wow I've got to do this every week yeah you know Those like, Sundays become yeah, repetitive right. man like they come quick that's right it's like wow I've I've gave my I gave my four good sermons <laughs> like that was it you know all my like, good right. illustrations are all gone so what am yeah. I gonna do um so there was a lot of humility uh in, in just learning to speak every week and to have something to say um and to not talk about yourself all the time or to not tell the same stories all the time. That also created a deep hunger, you know, to know a lot more about the Bible and to know okay. a whole lot more about God's word and, and, and just to know how preaching function. I mean, so, so it was an experience that was, was beneficial in many ways. It was an introduction to ministry, but it also created a deep desire to know more and to, and, and to eventually go to seminary and to, and to pursue it as a career. Yeah. So eventually you did that. And yeah, you, so Jill, Jill finished her PT degree. I was at that small church and I taught high school. That was all happening at the same time. Wow. Um, and so um, as she was finishing her degree, I thought, I think I want to do ministry. I want to go to seminary. And so there's a process for that in the Methodist church, which I won't unpack all that, but uh, applied to multiple schools. And we ended up in North Carolina where I went to Duke Divinity School at, at Duke University. So what was that like? It was awesome. Yeah, it was great. I mean, um, she become a Blue Devils fan. We did. Yeah, absolutely. You know, they indoctrinate you pretty heavily. <laughs> I mean, it's intense. Um, of course, in Arkansas, we have we have one big state school. Obviously, we have other schools and even ASU's nearby. But there's kind of this one overarching program. And out there, it's very different. You know, North Carolina State is in Raleigh. University of North Carolina is in Chapel Hill. Duke is in Durham. And they're all within 25 minutes of each other. So it's just a very different world, much more uh, local competition, you know, for fans and just for uh, yeah for sports fandom. So it, it was great. We had a wonderful time. Duke was Duke was a great experience for me. It's a it's a Methodist seminary and it's a Methodist school um, by by its founding. It's not Methodist in the larger university, but the seminary is. And so, um, yeah, I, I mean, I'm sure you I'm sure you enjoyed your education as well. For me, that was like. It was like heaven. I mean, just every day, another lecture, another mm-hmm. more to learn about the Bible, learning about Greek and Hebrew, and learning from these great theologians and hearing these great preachers. I mean, I I didn't I didn't grow up with that sort of education. You know what I mean? And so to get all that, so your was, mind was being open to a whole oh, new world. Yeah, it was awesome. And I had been doing I'd been doing math for six years. So it was just a different way of learning. And um, man, I, I bet you're really good at Greek. Good well, at I enjoyed Greek. That seemed very mathematical. Yeah, Greek was good. Hebrew was, was, a, was a struggle, but, but I'm glad I took them and, and tried to learn a little bit. Um, just loved seminary. Jill worked at Duke Hospital while we were there. And so we were like on the same campus. We would, our, our world was just kind of small there. You know, I would mm-hmm. drop her off at the hospital. I would go to class all day. And then we had great friends who were kind of in similar positions, either students or worked there. And so, um, 
yeah, I don't, I don't. It's the first time, obviously, I'd lived outside the state, but I don't regret that at all. It was wonderful. We lo- we loved it over there for sure. Big takeaway from your time at Duke. What, in, 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 as far as prepping you as a pastor or just as a, a disciple of Jesus, is there like one kind of big takeaway where you're like, man, like that in itself was worth the money and worth the time right yeah, there? Yeah, so I think that the takeaway from Duke, um, both kind of in, in my in my time there and in the, in the years up to me was was just to sort of keep your keep your eye and keep your heart and keep your mind focused on the larger story of, of God and Jesus Christ and what God is doing in the world you know there are lots of theological detours that are worth that are worth taking especially in a place like seminary right that's part of what we're doing there is, is thinking critically about things um, but um, but uh, but amongst all those all those uh, detours, don't lose sight of the the larger story that God mm. came to us in Jesus Christ and revealed Himself in a particular way, mm. uh, and in the resurrection, God's victory has been made known to us, uh, and that victory will be ultimately and finally celebrated yeah. at someday in the future. You know, man, that's huge. You know, we talk here about the reality um, that everybody believes a story, sure. and so everyone who's listening to this right now, like even if you don't consider yourself to be a a religious person or whatever, like you're believing a story. Right. And um, I think it's so important that we all stop and ask ourselves, like, what is the story that I'm believing that I'm living into that is shaping my life? I think it was uh, the Hollywood screenwriter. Is that, I don't know if you, how you say the name. Is it Bobette Buster or however you can't remember how you say the name, but said that, um, you know, we are all narrative creatures. Right. right. Just meaning that we, right. we are all shaped by the stories right. that we believe. Yeah. And, and scripture is, is, is almost entirely narrative. And now we, we get a few parts of scripture that wouldn't, we wouldn't count as narrative, but even those parts are part of the larger narrative. You know what I mean? And so yeah. if scripture functions in a narrative form and our lives are shaped by narrative, then, then a lot of our, our ministry ought to, you know, reflect that at least to some degree. So yeah, absolutely. So you, uh, finished up, um, with Duke, what year? Uh, 2014. Yep. 2014, yep. do you now move into your kind of your first full yeah. time? Yeah, so in the Methodist church, we use the language of appointment. And so okay. um, in, in other traditions, you might go find your, your first job or you might go find an, a, you know, a second job or whatever. But, but in our case, you're, you're out there being trained at seminary and you're coming back to the conference. In the, in the case of the Methodist church, the Arkansas State is a conference. And so coming back to the conference and seeking to be appointed by the bishop, and so my first appointment was for first UMC in Fort Smith. And so we came back from North Carolina and moved to Fort Smith. And that's where I served as an associate. And, and, um, and then my title was executive pastor there for five years. Okay. Until you came here in 2019. Came here in 2019. So, so how right. does that, how does that work? Like, obviously I guess you had, is it the bishop who just kind of looked yeah. and was like, Hey, I think like here's a need in Paragould yep. and Dane, I think like you're the guy, man. Yeah, like, that's, that's is that a, how it works? That's pretty much it. We have, we have a bishop over the whole state and then we have what we call district superintendents and that the number of district superintendents has changed over time, depending on the season of the church and their role. But uh, district superintendents are divided up in, in five areas in Arkansas. Uh, it was more previously, but that's the way it is right now. And so, yeah, the, the churches are under the care of the, of the conference and its leadership. And then pastors serve at the discretion of the bishop. I mean, that's how our system works. And so we, we allow ourselves and we commit ourselves to be appointed uh, to where um, the conference sees that our gifts and our skills, our graces are most needed, you know. And so every year there are technical reasons that people are moved. I mean, someone retires or someone's spouse takes a job out of state and so they have to move or something. I mean, there are, reason, there are technical reasons that, that cause some moves, um, but they're 
are hopefully, you know, the, hopefully there are good uh, pastoral and um, spiritual reasons behind every appointment. And mm-hmm. so, so I hope, hopefully I went to Fort Smith for good, for good reasons. And then hopefully I came to Paragould for good, for good reasons, both the reasons perhaps that are on my end that I'm bringing some, some things that are, that are going to be needed, but also on the church's end that they are bringing things to me, right? That it works both sure. ways. And so we think that's a prayerful and holy process. It doesn't mean it's without its challenges. It is. And one of those challenges is you, you can be moved. And, and so that's a different uh, way of life than a lot of people live. And, um, and, and you kind of have to learn to embrace that. I've only been appointed twice now, so uh, I don't, you know, there are people who retire, you know, when they're 65 who have, who have served 10 churches and been appointed all over the state, you know? And so, um, yeah, it's just a different way of doing things. So a little bit different than your process, I guess. So, yeah, yeah. yeah, a little bit. <laughs> so, um, but I can, um, yeah, I, I can appreciate it. I, I'm curious, and and for those listening, just so you know, by the way, I I, I never, uh, I never start these conversations really with kind of like this list of questions, and I that, that I send. Uh, there's there's I, literally nothing on this yeah, paper. So, it's a blank page over so, there. <laughs> that I send to, uh, yeah, and I've not asked you any of these questions, so no. um, which is the way I like it. So it's just kind of coming from sure. I love the flow of your heart and your your kind of first initial thoughts. I'm curious now that you are here in Paragould, yeah, as someone who's come from the outside and moved in. Um, what's been your take on the city, the good, the bad, the ugly, whatever, what's, oh, what's your kind of commentary on, or your perspective on Paragold? Yeah. Um, and you, the reason I really am interested in what you think on that is cause yeah. you've lived in different places, yeah, so sure. you're not born and raised here like no, I am. Yeah, so sure. sometimes it's, it's harder, right? When you're right in the middle, that's all you've seen for a while. Right. So I'm curious, first kind of thoughts that come to your mind as yeah. you... So we, uh, so the church, for those who are listening, maybe who are not familiar, the church that I serve is, is downtown. Um, we're a couple of blocks off the main street downtown. Jared, of course, is right here in downtown. And then I live downtown as well. So my, my initial introduction to Perigold was, was downtown, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, we spent almost all of our time and money right here for a few uh, a few months as we started to get to explore. So the first the first thing I think of when I think of Perigold is just the history. I mean, it's an, mm-hmm. it's an old city. It's an old town. And, and we're looking here in your, your office at a picture of the cotton belt and the railroad and everything. So... So I think Perigold has a rich history, and, and our church is part of that. I mean, the the church where it stands now was built in the 1920s, but it but its organization uh, predates that to the 1870s. So a lot of history, and and that's that's my that was my introduction to this historic town, this historic downtown. Uh, obviously, after we lived here a while, our kids started getting to to go to more things socially, sports, school, and I've been surprised at just the uh, the energy and the vitality. Um, my church is is an old church in the sense that it's been around a long time, but it is not an old congregation. Mm. Like we've been really pleasantly surprised. We got a lot of young families, young people. I know your church does as well, and there just seems to be a lot of energy among people our age, which has been great because yeah. we've really uh, just we've really just fit right in with that with that group. And so we've been pleasantly surprised. And it wasn't a struggle to get to know people our age or to get our kids involved. It felt very comfortable, you know. Uh, and then we're. Continuing to get in Opergo, my wife works as a physical therapist, and, and it works with and, and in the schools some, and also in clinics and some. So she's been able to see uh, more of the community than I have. Uh, I've, I've tried to be involved. We've done some downtown things together, as you said, and uh, been on a few social activities. So I came in the summer of 19. We had a really fun fall and winter, and then, of course, uh, the, the COVID thing started that March. And so... Mm. My introduction to Paragol was was really exciting for a few months, and then it has just been really strange since then because yeah. everything has been at a distance or been online or been you know at a reduced capacity. And so, what's been the hardest thing about that? You feel like as a uh, yeah, as a as a pastor, now even as I ask that question, you stick your tongue <laughs> stick out like tongue oh, out. Yeah, that's yeah. exhausting. Yeah, yeah, that's right. yeah man. What's yeah. and maybe this is just me, I'm asking this for more yeah. for my sake as a 
fellow pastor. But yeah. um, I think for me, and I've said this to my church and to all the the leadership groups that we met with, it was really hard to um, to make the move. And you're and you're doing all those things early on to try to get to know people. We had all those small group meetings. We went to people's homes, and we we and they were working so hard. You know that you're trying to get the relationship off to a good start. You know, and so um, and I think everyone deserved a lot of credit for that going well and we had a great Christmas and and spring was moving right along to have all that stunted has been hard because I you know I would I would hope to be two years into knowing people and getting to know people and know a lot about their lives and that's just been at a really reduced rate and so I've been here two years but but not really like it feels like I'm still there's still people I just don't know very well or they haven't been able to come because they're concerned about their health or whatever and so it's just been a it's been a struggle to get to know the church as quickly as, as I would have hoped. And I think they would say that too. It's just, it's just been tough and we're all working at it and working through it. Um, but it has not been easy. And I know it hasn't been easy for you either. Yeah, it's it's certainly presented some unique challenges and, um, yeah, it seems like just whenever you try to plan something, things change again and it, 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 it makes it decision fatigue becomes a real thing. Absolutely. Yeah. I, uh, not to rehearse the COVID thing, because that's not the point of this podcast. But, you know, there was so much early on, there was a lot of like shared energy and cheerleading. You know, we can do this is a hard thing. We're going to Zoom. We're going to be online. Um, but, but you know, when that, when that energy started to wear down, you know, this is, we're, we're 18, 19 months into it. And so all of us, as you said, we, we've tried all the things. We did the Zoom things. We did the outside things. We did the, you know, we've tried so hard to be creative. Some of them worked really well. Some of them didn't yeah, yeah. work at all, you know. And yeah, we said it was like throwing spaghetti to wall. Absolutely. Stick, yeah, you know? that's right. So, um, so yeah, just the exhaustion of, of A, not, not knowing the people as well as I would have liked and trying to do new and difficult things. It's, it's, it's been yeah, tough. Things you didn't sign up for. No, none of us did. And the, and the church people didn't either. And, you know, and so some of those things we went into half-heartedly, and I did too. It's like, man, I don't want to do that. You know, I don't want to have a, another Zoom Bible study. I want to meet together in person, you know. So it was hard. It's been hard to maintain that energy around all that, that creative um, alternative approaches, you know, and I'm sure for y'all too. Yeah. Have y'all found that, um, you know, it's, it's August 11th as we're recording this, you know, the Delta variants sure. taking off here in Arkansas. Sure. There seems to be so many different opinions. These things have been politicized so much. How have you personally as a pastor tried to navigate that? Because that's yeah. a, we're in a, a, a kind of a, a unique position, in the, you know, so I'm just curious <laughs> right, right. from your perspective, how have you tried to handle that? It's been tough. Or are you trying, how are you yeah, trying still, to handle it? We're still handling it all the time. Yeah. And, and for my church members who are listening to this, I mean, I hope I portray it accurately. I think there's been a lot of, um, a lot of hard conversations, you know, part, part of our hierarchy, um, our hierarchical structure that helped a little bit because we were getting some direction from on high. You know, the bishop was saying, do this, don't do that. We need to close. We need to reopen. We need to limit attendance or whatever. And so it's so helpful whenever that you can say, Hey, helped. Yeah, that, that's, that, right. that's the guy. It's I'm the, the messenger. That's right. And, uh, <laughs> and it was the same with the, this this correlates exactly with the state and with the schools, right? When the governor said, you've got to do this, well, then the schools could say, well, we may not like it, but we just have Absolutely. to do it, you know, and, yeah. and that took the pressure off the It doesn't lo- make the local. principals and that's the administration right, the right. bad guys. So we had that early on, and I'll give our, our bishop credit for doing that. You know, as the paradigm shifted, you know, vaccines rolled out, the case numbers went way down, you know, he really he really took his hands off and, you know, kind of let, let us make the best decisions locally, which was what he needed to do. And, and that's kind of, we're still in that same paradigm now, but um, it makes it harder because you do have to have hard conversations. I think we've had very fair and honest conversations and we've tried to be respectful of everyone's um, differences. We're a large church and, and you are too, and there's no way in a large 
system that everyone's going to agree, you know, and we, and we know that. And so we, we've tried to be fair and frank and honest and try to do the best thing that honors the most people. At the same time, we leave every meeting or, or we, or I try to remind them this is a fluid situation, you know, cause it could change next week or it could change in two weeks. And I think that's tiring too, because people will think, well, we just decided last month we weren't wearing masks or we were wearing masks or we were going to have children's ministry. We're not going to have children's And now you're telling us we're not doing it. Like, you know, can we just stick with something? And it's like, well, yes and no, but things are changing. And so we're trying to change with them. And that's, I think that is exhausting for hearers, not just a decision maker, but for the people who are trying to keep up with the church. It's like, they don't know, you know, what's, what's best and what's safest, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And there's, you know, we want to go back to normal just as, oh, gosh. as much, Amen. if not more so than really anyone else. And yeah, the mask, the, <clears throat> the vaccines, all that kind of stuff. Like, we don't want to be having to have those conversations, of <laughs> course. Like we, it's not what we went to no. seminary for, no. but um, man, yeah, it, it's, it's definitely presented some challenges. I think not just for us, but for all people. And I, I'm curious, where do you, from, what do you, where do you see the church going? Um, not just First United Methodist, but just the church you know, here in Paragold, by sure. and large, you know, throughout the country. Where do you see us going from this, your perspective? Oh, wow. Like, yeah. Like, do you mean relative to COVID or you just mean like, yeah, yeah. Just like as we come out of this thing, yeah, like, and yeah. you might not even have any thoughts. Like I just, yeah. I think, um, I think at my church and I would guess at most churches, um, that the core membership was really strengthened. Um, and that's probably true in, in other senses. If you go through a difficult time and you yeah. go through it together and you come out of it, you feel better about yourselves. Like we, we survived this thing. And so my sense is that my church, and I would bet yours is the same way. Like we, I, I feel, I feel like we're a stronger church than we went, when we went into it. And I hope mm. that's true for a lot of congregations. Like mm. look at these hard things we did. We didn't, we didn't have in-person services for three months. We didn't have Christmas Eve, which means so much to us. We did Easter online. We sent, we sent home these worship packets for Christmas. I mean, we did vacation Bible school and I'm like, those things were all really hard and we did them, you know, and like we came through that. And I think there's a little bit of a uh, hope around that. And I hope mm-hmm. that's true for a lot mm-hmm. of churches. Like, man, if we can survive 18, 19 months of this, then surely we can do whatever's next. I do think on the flip side, and I think this is not unique to us. There were there were people on the periphery that we knew somewhat, and, and especially me. Like maybe I'd met them once or twice, and and maybe I lost contact with them through this. You know, they came to church once every six weeks, once every month, and they knew who I was and I knew them. But there wasn't a deep bond there. And if there wasn't a deep bond, then it was probably hard to maintain it through this. You know, like so what was strong was made stronger, but what was weak was probably fractured. That's yeah. kind of my sense That's of what well, happened. That's well said. Yeah, and so. That's my sense at my church. That's my sense from talking to other pastors. And so I think we will we will have some work to do to regain some some momentum around the edges. You know, mm-hmm. I think the center is still really strong, um, but we will have some work to do to regain momentum around the edges. That's my sense. So. Yeah, no, that's good. Um, there's so much I, I want to ask you. Sure, but bring it on. I, yeah, I, I want to um, – why don't we – I saw the other day that you were talking about uh, – the rise and fall of Mars. Hill. Oh gosh! So yeah, since sure. we're in, we're in we're in the ministry, um, you know. And at this point, by the way, all listeners who are like, I could care less about right. the church. This is about <laughs> like, to get real yeah, yeah. inside baseball, right? <laughs> yeah. so. It's not so. For those who you know, I'm not going to get into the weeds of of the, the Mars Hill right. debacle or right. whatever. Um, I have people that, uh, matter of fact, one of our, our friends uh, took over for Mark Driscoll whenever no he way. was yeah oh, wow. uh, okay. Jeff Anderstelt and then changed yeah. the name to Doxa. And so, um, uh, for those who aren't interested, Mars Hill or Mark Driscoll is just kind of one of the, I guess, many pastors who at one point kind of climbed to celebrity status. Sure. I guess you could say mega church. Yeah, yeah mega church. Uh, wrote books, all that kind of stuff, and then um, yeah, had a big kind of fall, and, mm-hmm. and the church really suffered as a result. Mm-hmm. 
Why do you think we keep seeing that? Um, there are a lot of people, I think, who I've even talked to who have been so turned off from mm-hmm. church mm-hmm. because of mm-hmm. they've just been hurt mm-hmm. because of leadership within the church of these people who they put their trust in. They're yeah, they're you know whatever they they, they trust they trust them and yeah. then they these are people who stand and say like yeah I represent you know like this is what is good this was beautiful this is true then you find yeah. out like oh bam there's some scandal or whatever else. I'm just curious like what. It seems to be more unique in, in our culture right. in America right. than even other places right. from, from what I can tell. Why do you think that is? Why do we see so many pastors, people yeah. in our positions who you think start out well, right? Yeah. Yeah. Probably our age. Yeah. Right? yeah. You have this dream. Yeah. And then. So, yeah, I, I would say, um, well, I, I want to preface this on, on a couple of fronts you probably know more of, of sort of what's going on there. As I listen to that story, I feel a little bit like an outsider listening in. So I, I grew up in a, a mainline tradition, the Methodist church and the the story of Mars Hill and the kind of evangelical reform movement that was happening. I was sort of a, a witness to that at a distance. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? That was not, that was not exactly my world, but I knew that world was out there. Yeah. If you're well, I was coming in like right in the, you middle, were in of the middle of it. In the yeah. middle. So the president of our seminary was like one of the main right, guys. Right. So, so I'm a, I'm a little bit of an outside observer on that, but I still think this is true. Like, um, provocative leadership is just incredibly seductive, you know, um, and especially in the church. And we have, we just have so much history with these pastors, preachers who appear to be very, very, uh, powerful and influential, engaging, but the moral and ethical backbone just isn't there, you know? Um, and it seems like churches over and over again kind of fall for that. Like, well, they deliver great sermons or a lot of people come or, or more people are getting baptized, but behind the scenes, they're kind of crummy people, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think the church ought to start in the other direction. They need to be really quality people, you know, behind the scenes. They need to be ethical, upstanding people and they need to be, you know, right for leadership. Um, it doesn't matter necessarily how, how powerful a speaker they are, but the church has fallen for that for a long time and we will probably continue to fall for that. I don't think that's, um, that's just a pattern. It's not just the church too. I mean, pol- politics as well, you know, I mean, yeah. that's just kind of a pattern. Humanity gathers around these, these, these crafty speakers, these powerful speakers. Yeah, charismatic guys. Uh, yeah. Even though what's going on behind the scenes may not be, you know, respectable. So. Yeah. It's just a matter of time, I guess, you know, if you're, if your competency continues to outrun your character, it's just a matter of time before like that's going to be exposed. That's right. Yeah. That's and there's right. going to be people wounded yeah, as a that's result. Right. That's you know? right. Yeah. And it seems like, you know, in our culture, we have such a, it, we struggle with narcissism. Sure. And there's something that I think we like about those. We, like cel- you said, we those celebrate big, it a little bit. Yeah. Powerful yeah. Yeah. figures and events and all these things. And it, and it makes us feel like, Oh yeah. We are a part of something incredible. Yeah. A part right. of something huge. Right. A part right. of something big. Well, and it makes, it makes us feel like me and you, like we're being, we're being judged against that. You know, yeah. I mean like, why can't, why can't you and I, you know, have a church of 10,000 or why don't we, yeah. you know, send our sermons to millions of people around the world. But I don't know at the end of the day if that model of church is super healthy. I mean, it just, it seems like we have more damage done than, you know, yeah. than, than quality ministry. So, yeah, I would tend to agree. So a little bit more lighthearted of a subject. <laughs> um, well, I saw you as I was kind of stalking your tweets before yeah, you came sure. in here. Which, uh, makes, which makes me nervous. So, yes. Yeah, no, good. they were all fantastic, <laughs> man. Um, and so Ted Lasso. Yeah, sure. Dude, like I was so happy that I saw yeah. you. Quote, uh, right, Ted Lasso, right, right. Uh, or maybe I, actually it wasn't, it was from Ted Lasso. Yeah, yeah, sure. 
Uh, I don't remember if it was Ted himself, but dude, like, I love that show. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's been one of my favorite shows yeah. um, for me and my wife. I'm curious, what is it about it that gets you? To me, it strikes two chords that I really like. It's it's both lighthearted and cheesy, you know, so it's a comedy. Which also. we need. We need, desperately. So you can watch it and you can laugh out loud, so I love that. But um, it get it gets at some of these deeper themes of humanity and brokenness and the need for healing and community and care. And so that it strikes both those those chords and kind of balances them out. That's that's like my TV show all the way down. It's really good. So, yeah. Do you yeah. have a favorite scene? Oh, well, we were just talking before we started recording about this most recent episode uh, where, where Jamie uh, joins his teammates and blacking out his, his jersey. I think it's a fake brand. Obviously, yeah. they're not, they're not <laughs> right. trashing a real brand there. But, uh, yeah, it's a great moment, you know, and especially thinking about the world and brokenness and division, this kind of call to unity and what can we, you know, what can we do to care for one another, even when we don't fully understand one another. So yeah. I like that a lot. Yeah. yeah. I, I was sharing with you earlier. I love the scene where he's in the bar or whatever, and he's playing Throwing darts. darts. Yeah. yeah, yeah, right. yeah. And, uh, he beats Rupert. That's and great. like, yeah. he has that famous, or I guess he was quoting, it was at uh, Walt Whitman. Yeah. And he right. is, and he said, be curious, not yeah. judgmental. Absolutely. Yeah. And that really kind of sums up his character, which is why I think I love it so right. much. And Bill, I know you're a fan of Ted Lasso too, but it's like, man, we need more of that. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Especially with like, oh, like we just talked about the vaccine. Everyone's got an opinion. Right, and it's just right. like, we assume the absolute right. worst. Right. Right. About about whoever's sitting on the other side sure, of us. And sure. it's like, man, if we could just stop and be curious, yeah. be like, hmm. get to know people a little bit. Yeah. Like, yeah. why do you believe that? Right. And literally like not right. just asking a condescending fashion, but like, I really right. am curious. Like, yeah. why are, why do you believe that? Why do you hold to that? It's like, man, the world. Well, and I think as we, we, as, as people of faith and we, as pastors and communicators, you know, we're, we're kind of tasked with modeling that, you know, and practicing that. And, uh, I see that as part of my call and I, and I sense you do as well, you know, and even to preach in a way that invites curiosity, you know, like mm. we're not, we may have some expertise in, in the Bible that other people don't have or, or something in, in theology. Um, but we don't have expertise in like all things God, you know, like there, there are people in our pews that know that are closer to Jesus than I am and, mm -hmm. and have a deeper prayer mm -hmm. life than I do, mm -hmm. you know? And so kind of inviting people to be, um, yeah, to be curious, not just about one another, but about God and about the faith and, uh, and kind of doing this thing together. I like, I like that a lot. And Lasso gets at some of those, some of those ideas. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that's a, a good place to wrap up our first conversation. I, I, had, I had so much more to say. Well, I, I was just getting warmed dude, up. So bring me back, bring hey, me back let's for do, part let's two, do a so. commercial <laughs> break and then we'll come back. <laughs> and so, good. no, man, I'm so glad that you're in our city. Sure. And every time I've been around you, I've always been encouraged. I've always been edified. It's sure. always left me wanting to spend more time sure. with you. And so um, well, I, I was, I just want to say the same. I mean, moving to a new town is hard. I know you've done that. And, uh, you, you early on reached out, uh, I think, a text or email and, and kind of initiated getting to know me and uh, invited me to some, some prayer meetings and invited me here today. So I feel like you've you've done a lot to help make me feel welcome, and I appreciate awesome, that. Man. It means a lot to me. So. Great. Well, until next time, man. Absolutely. All right, so that was the Reverend Dane Walmack. So always enjoy my time with him. Glad that he was able to make space to be here. We are very similar, uh, me and Dane. So I've got a... Uh, degree from Arkansas State University and he from Duke, which is basically the same thing. Would you same agree? Same thing, yeah. So, um, hey, if you're still listening, uh, thanks so much for tuning in. Just want to remind you that uh, we are on all the different social media platforms, Facebook, 
Instagram, Twitter, uh, Twitter. Yeah, that's out there. And so, if you will, we would encourage you to go to iTunes and give us a five star rating on the podcast. Um, that's not about like making us feel better about ourselves and what we're doing. Although here. it does make us feel better, that is true. Let's be honest. Yes. Um, but more so than that, it helps people to find us and learn more about the great people living right here in our great city. So um, again, thanks so much for listening and until next time.